Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with experimental musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Ben Chasney, also known as Six Organs of Admittance. He's been working with the project for two decades now, and he's covered such a vast terrain of sound. But in recent years, he's been working with a system for composition that he developed himself called the Hexatic System that uses a deck of ordinary playing cards and a set of rules. There's kind of a parlor game aspect to it as well. And he's been using it to compose the most gorgeous music. He released two albums of music that he composed using the system, which are amazing. One of them is incredibly dense and quite heavy. The other is stripped back and kind of, I feel, lets the mechanics of the system come to the fore a little bit for someone who doesn't really understand it. And also, I did an interview with Ben just before he released the first Hexatic album. And please do go read it. Ben is so excited. You can really feel it in the words as he's explaining the system to me, or at least trying to. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, So do go check that out at attentionmagazine.co.uk. Just search Six Organs of Admittance. What's great about that interview is that, as we mentioned in this forthcoming discussion, Ben already had plans, even before the first album was released, to do a compilation of artists all using the Hexatic system. And here it is. Hexatic 3 is a compilation featuring contributions of other musicians using the system, such as Richard Young's Tashi Dorji, Moon Duo. It's a really nice set of music, and I think you get a, a real sense of the fact that this system is incredibly versatile. Um... I'm going to play you a little clip of one of the pieces on the album by Meg Baird and Charlie Softly, which is particularly beautiful. But before I do, instead of doing the usual thing on this podcast where we talk about important albums, it's worth noting that the albums here that Ben has chosen fit within the constellation of the hexatic system, so they may have inspired the system or they may have some kind of relationship with the system which you know ben goes into as we talk so i had a great time speaking with ben and just as i did before uh he's good company so i hope you enjoy this head over to sixorgans.com or sixorgansofadmittance.bandcamp.com to preview the hexatic compilation and to check out some more of ben's music as well but here we go Ben Chasney on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be speaking to you again. It was a couple of years back that we spoke last, and uh, I think at the time it was around the release of the first Hexatic record, Um, and it was an interview actually I revisited earlier this week and saw that actually you'd mentioned in the latter portion about you wanted to put together a compilation at some point of artists who are also using Hexatic systems. So it's nice that we're now talking again today when this compilation is actually like a real living thing i've really i've been really enjoying listening to the compilation but i think big part of that for me is that a lot of those artists on the compilation are a lot of my own personal favorites oh Um, nice i'd love to know like the process of picking out the artists that you wanted to be on the compilation or just assembling you know the list of artists that appear sure yeah um well yeah it's been pretty fun since that first interview because i think when we did that the first record hadn't even come out yet i don't think and so i was trying to explain a system that 
<laughs> like <laughs> nobody had ever heard about or read about. And then the first record came out and uh, there was just a massive amount of confusion as to what it was <laughs> for everybody, even though I tried to say things and then all this um, misinformation being spread and things. But I think after these few years, uh, maybe there's a little more idea of what, what it's about, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it's, so yeah, it's nice, nice to talk to you now. Um, for the, for the bands that are on the, the record, I just basically, they're my friends and I gave the book, which is, uh, all about the system to a lot of people and uh, a lot of my friends and, uh, the ones that kind of wrote back and said, um, you know, we're encouraging, just giving encouraging words in general about the system. I just, then I mentioned to them, I said, well, you know, I want to put together a compilation. Um, so you're invited. And then some of those people made music and some of those people I told um, about the compilation, you know, they didn't do anything um, for the compilation. But uh, so that's sort of how, that, that's how the bands were chosen that were on the record. I understand, in fact, that you asked a couple of people who had already recorded tracks with the system. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, when I contacted um, Stephen O'Malley, he said that he already had a track. And one day I just got an email from Richard Young saying, hey, I made a song with um, with the system. Here it is. And then I told him about uh, told both of those people about that I was going to do a comp and they said, yeah, we should, um, we should put it on. Unfortunately, that was probably two years ago because they immediately recorded. So it's taken a while to get some of their tracks out oh, wow. um, <laughs> just because, um, yeah, just because, uh, takes, takes a while to gather together songs for a comp and put it out and things. I mean, I think, I think, you know, Steven's track actually was recorded before I even did Hexatic 2. So I've had it for a while. Oh, wow. I'm intrigued as well. You mentioned about encouraging words that you were getting back. I suppose this isn't a completely foreign experience and probably analogous to, say, putting anything together that you've invested a lot of personal time within and then getting feedback on it. But what was the kind of remarks that people were coming back with in terms of how they were using the system and, and how were they finding their experiences uh, composing with it? Well, I think the biggest response has been there's sort of a group of people who have been using it um and uh they kind of contact each other on twitter and online and share songs and stuff it's a small group of folks but it's really inspiring to me some of the stuff that they've been doing mm. kind of taking it farther um so you know i mean in a perfect world i would start a hexatic tape label and start putting out um releases um oh, yeah. of some of these people so i'm um, that's kind of something i'd like to do in the future as well and then uh you know probably the most encouraging person has been phil lagarde he seems to be the one who sort of started exploring it more than anybody even more than me coming up with <laughs> yeah coming up with connections that i hadn't even seen he's written um a patch for a midi program that uses um aspects of the hexatic system yeah so the max was it yeah it's incredible um i mean i don't understand it at all no, i mean me it's, just, it's too, totally above my head but i'm like oh that's great phil thank you i mean he's just he's been one of the most uh, inspiring people for me because he, he's really um because i don't know i i might have questioned even what i was doing and, and it was nice to get really nice feedback from him so that's been great what i've really loved uh hearing this compilation and you know, given that my understanding of the system admittedly is tenuous, is having heard it within the canon of what you've been doing and then hearing people like Moon Duo and, and you know, Stephen O'Malley and people bringing what they do and funneling it through what you've created and just being completely blown away by the versatility of what you've created with the systems. Incredible. Like that first track. It really caught me off guard because there's aspects of it which I think feel very immediate and aspects of it that feel completely and utterly bizarre, which is really great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think, yeah, the Mundo track, yeah, it's wonderful. Heavy, heavy bass. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I don't know if it was yourself or um, is it Drag City that's putting it out, mentioned the fact that there is, like, even though there's this huge stylistic breadth to it, that there is a kind of continuity to it 
And it's something that kept coming up in Pangs as I was listening to it as well. Just these strange tugs of, well, strangeness, I guess, that you could feel were coming from outside of intuition. Yeah, I think that there is sort of a thread that runs through the record. Um, I mean, I can kind of hear the different aspects um, that the different people were using on the compilation, just because I know the system inside and out. So I can tell when some of the musicians were um, working more with uh, time than other musicians were, or if some of the musicians had uh, maybe tweaked the system a bit to be a bit more um, diatonic or harmonic, um, and some people are working more with dissonance. so since, as I've said from the beginning, it's a pretty open system and you just sort of take what you want. And uh, it was really interesting to me to hear the different aspects of it that the different musicians took. Did I see something about, I think Mark Yuseli said that there's a whole full length maybe coming of stuff that they've done with the system? Oh, I did not see that. that oh, really? Incredible. <laughs> Are you serious? I saw something wow. on Twitter. I Oh gosh, I hope it didn't just skim read it, but that's that's I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Well, that would blow me away. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean as well the the other thing I wanted to mention is mainly because of the fact that a video came out for one of the tracks the other day, but obviously you've since returned to also writing an album which exists outside the system as well. Um bearing the yeah. threshold. What's it been like to return to that way of songwriting? having had those experiences with Hexatic? I mean, have have you noticed, was there any shift on the back of, say, coming out of using the system and then returning to not using it? Well, I'd like to say that I learned something and then I applied it, but I don't think... (laughs) I think in my mind, they're just two totally separate things. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's strange, because I like to think that um, there's a pragmatic aspect to the system where it kind of... You kind of um, start to integrate ideas about intervals more because it's so interval based, mm-hmm. um, and maybe you know one could teach themselves a little more about the relationship between different intervals. But I don't know if I really, even when I went back to and did the last record, "Burning in the Threshold," I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I applied that. I think I might have just kind of went back into a six organs um, sort of like finger-picking kind of thing so i'd like to say that i applied some of the things but i don't know if i did is it it nice to have an almost counterbalance where uh, you now have if one particular method of um, generating music you're feeling like okay i could do with a change now that you can sort of liberate yourself from a particular way of thinking and almost go between them as the inclination takes you yeah yeah definitely um uh yeah it's just a different world it's just a different world to get into um so it's strange one of the uh misperceptions about the system is that i think in today's in today's day and age there are so many of these sort of um quick ideas to be creative you know almost to to think in terms of almost like apps that help you make something (laughs) and this i mean and then people start to integrate it into their own minds you know well this will help me be creative and i can i can be very efficient in the studio if i apply these sorts of ideas and something new and creative will happen and and the system is absolutely opposite that It it makes it it takes it takes much longer to create anything with the system but in participating in that hopefully it's like building muscle or something like that and i see that you've got some shows coming up i think at the end of this month in spain and portugal um yeah are they hexatic shows or uh no i'll be playing sh- sort of stuff from the last record but i am going to do a couple of hexatic workshops where i get people i've done some of these over the last few years where people come and kind of talk about the system and everybody gets their own deck of cards and everybody gets to compose and um we fill out sheets of paper and somewhere somewhere between um yeah composition and maybe um doing your taxes or something (laughs) hopefully it's more exciting than that but there's a lot of definitely a lot of filling out form (laughs) forms and papers uh but then everybody leaves with uh their own compositions and uh hopefully some sort of inspiration um even if they don't exactly use the system to to do new things how have you found the experience of doing the workshops and imparting the system in person to people 
I love it. I, I, every time I do it, it's so much fun and uh, really great feedback from people. And one thing that's really surprised me is the variety of different types of um, musicians and guitar players that come in. Um, not just like, you know, avant heads. It's We get <laughs> metal people, rockabilly guitar players. I mean, people just kind of want to come in and try something new. And yeah, it's great. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, it always really fires me up just listening to it. So it's fantastic that you're, um, you know, able to really inspire people to get involved and make their own music with it as well. So we're here to talk today as well about three albums that you've picked out, which uh, I understand exist, as you've said, within the same kind of constellation as the Hexatic system. So albums by other people. Um, I'm going to let you choose which or do you want to talk about the albums in um but yeah if you'd like to tell me the name of the album and then a little bit about why uh, you chose it as well that would be great yeah uh well the first one i was going to mention was uh conate things viral for a few reasons one is because uh steven and tim from conate are on uh this comp along with mark um and so yeah it's just one of my favorite records too and i told steven that first time i heard it mm. um for me, well, one of the reasons why I wanted to add it to this is because, you know, um, when I first had the idea to do this, um, to do this hexatic system, I didn't know what it would sound like. And so I did a little experiment with a, with a technique that ended up being in the book, um, a technique um, called a method of linear heaviness slash lightness. And when I experimented with this technique, uh, to see it, what kind of music it made, the progression that came up with the timing and the and the intervals and the chords, when I played it on guitar, I thought this kind of sounds like Conate, <laughs> like the the timing and and everything, and it really encouraged me to continue. You know, I said, well, this is maybe there's something here to 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 do something with this. So it was really kind of um, the first reinforced idea uh, that made me feel good about the thing the the hexatic system so i continued so that's why i wanted to choose that record actually hmm. do you remember when you first heard it when i first heard the record i think yeah. uh well i think that i picked it up after i saw them live at south by southwest in um maybe it was 2004 or 2005 i think it was pretty close after the record came out i can't remember uh, but i saw them live and oh, um, wow yeah, they really blew me away. I mean, everybody was just so good. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, I told Stephen um, that it was kind of the closest thing I'd heard to Fuchsia Susha at the time because um, people always uh, talk about Fuchsia Susha in terms of um, maybe noise or uh, texture or things. But for me, Fuchsia Susha has always been about um, about rhythm and uh, the types of rhythm that they use. Uh, and that, to me, is sort of what makes them a very heavy band. And so when I first heard Conate, I thought, oh, this is kind of the first thing I've heard that explores those really abstract rhythms and tension uh, to that level. Yeah. I, I had Aidan Baker on this podcast, actually, who also talked about seeing Carnate live and was just utterly blown away by it. I'm quite jealous um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, especially I guess the opportunity to see Alan in action within that context as well. Oh, he was amazing. He was sort of just hunched over and completely frightening. One of the most frightening performers I've ever seen. While being a, a frightening performer in terms of just uh, presence, you know, not like rushing the audience or threat. I mean, just like a purely uh, very, uh, very scary presence. In, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I mean, I just love and I always have loved with Conate is just the, I think indifference is the wrong word, but hopefully, you know, what I'm trying to get at, but just the moments at which everything else is quiet and he just has an utter disregard for the etiquette that usually accompanies those moments where no, right, everything right. should be quiet. Right, right. <laughs> just right. the shrieks are... Uh, you know, unlike anything that I've heard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Unnerving, yeah. Mm. And do you, is it an album that you still listen to now? Yeah, I'll, I'll still put that on for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great record. What about 
their albums like since this one as well have you kind of kept up with with what they've been doing well i tried to i try to yeah of course um yeah, it's interesting the Fuchsia Susha thing because now Steven's playing with Hino mm. occasionally um, with Oren. So, um, yeah, it just seemed like such a natural thing for him to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love I saw actually where I was looking about this record earlier as well that um, there's an int- there's a huge iconic feature. I can't remember where it was. I think Invisible Oranges, but it had some quotes from Plotkin being like, I don't give a fuck about democracy in a band. You know, if someone's doing a shit thing, then we throw it out. Um, <laughs> which I feel like you can hear that though. There's a real, um, you know, there's great swathes of quiet because of that. I suppose it creates a binary relationship between don't do anything unless you know it comes above this high watermark, and so you only really hear anything at the moment that someone's like, okay, this is worth you know sharing <laughs> through yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah, and I think. I think Plotkin was responsible for all those really weird, creepy sounds too, right? I mean, I think when I saw mm. him, he he was in charge of that. Um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, he was, I think, responsible for a lot of the editing of it. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I I think part of that I read he wasn't so keen on capture and release because I think it was it comparatively felt like a grindcore record because it was hmm. so textured and I, I guess a little more constant than you know things viral could be right uh yeah well i like caption release too i thought that was that was actually quite fuchsia tusha as well i'm not that they were trying to be fuchsia tusha but I, in terms maybe more in textural terms yeah no that was the first one i heard of theirs and it was um i used to take bike rides to that record and that was incredible but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the uh i i, I kind of see what he's saying in the sense that there's a lot more momentum to that record and that actually uh if things viral is like wheel that kind of goes round but occasionally stops then capture and release there's a there's a constant rotation to it which... yeah the beast has been released yes <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it sounds like that we've made a uh, kind of quite natural segue into the next record um, that we can talk about here. So, yeah, if you'd like to tell me about that one, then that would be great. So uh, the next record, which seems natural uh, to come after Connet, would be Fuchsia Susha's uh, The Caution Appears, uh, which was released right around the same time as a record called A Challenge to Fate. Right. <laughs> and... Um, the Fuchsia Susha record is an instrumental record, um, so uh, that's the reason why I picked it. I think it's not necessarily my favorite, although it's high up there, because favorite always goes to PSF 1516. But um, yeah, I wanted to choose it for this because it's an instrumental record, so the focus is a bit on their guitar um, and the guitar playing, and um, yeah. And how how does this one link in with the hexatic system for you well in general and it's something i kind of talk about when i do the hexatic talks was there was an interview with um the members of fuchsia susha without Hino. i think it was in a program magazine and um and it's when Miri maki was in a band their second guitar player and they kind of have this conversation about um Hino teaching them about uh hand habits what Heino calls hand habits and um, trying to sort of uh, get rid of hand habits and so it always stuck with me for years i mean i don't know i think that interview has got to be 20 years old at least and um it's just always stuck with me like hand habits and they sort of have a conversation about what hand habits are and if it's real music or not and um I don't think it answered any questions for me as far as whether or not hand habits are music, but it's always a question. And it's something that I try to address with the hexatic system a bit is, um, 
getting rid of hand habits because you're working with different sort of intervals so your fingers aren't going to the same notes all the time. Um, so that's why I wanted to pick this uh, Fischer Susha record um, because it focuses on the guitar and intervals and things like that. What a brilliant idea to interview the band like without Heino present as well. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> interview. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did I see as well that you saw them when they came over to the US and I think it was like 1996 that I saw? Yeah. Yeah, I saw them in 96 at the Great American Music Hall. Um, and uh, it kind of changed my life in a way. It was really amazing. Um, probably, you know, as a younger person, uh, probably influenced me a bit too much at the time. Uh, <laughs> as, you know, I immediately was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to really jump around on stage a lot, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was I'm glad no footage exists of that. And eventually was able to calm down and, uh, it, but it just because it was so influential. I mean, it was just so inspiring. Um, one of the best shows I've ever seen. I think that they released it on CD. Charnel house released it on CD as gold blood, the performance. Right. Oh, I see. And um, with the Fushit Susha record, do you remember when you or where you picked that up as well? Uh, the first one, I think I ordered from Forced Exposure. Uh, they had, uh, I think they had a review of it and that would be live too. And it just sounded so great, you know, the way they described it. And I ordered it. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much been my favorite rock record of all time, uh, tied with like White Light, White Heat. I think those two. Wow. That's all, I need. That's all I need. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a bit of a segue, but you see you mentioned forced exposure there. Am I right in thinking you and Damon Krakowski are close or friends? Or, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we are. Because he did this brilliant, I don't know if you heard his podcast that he did, where he talked about forced exposure and um, basically the discovery of music in analog times and exactly that kind of thing that it sounds like you have with Fushit Susha how you just stumble across a band and you'd have those yeah. experiences. Um, I, I've, I know the series you're talking about. I've, um, I just started listening to it and I've listened to three of them. No, I've listened to two of them, but it's based on his book, which I've read and I've read his entire book, um, which I think his book is, his book is just amazing. Um, so, um, no, I haven't got to that episode yet. I'm looking forward to it. Mm, it's great. I, I think he talks about it in reference to Ghost, I think. Uh, is it Ghost? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. They're they're friends with those guys. Yeah, uh, but just the serendipity of you know discovery and and leading that leading you into your listening experience rather than you can already hear it right now, you know, and that whole portion of it's just being completely absent, just having to follow your your nose, I guess. Which is you know I, I think it's it's a wonderful series. Like I've been really enjoying it. But um, yeah, his project that project is great. He did it so well in that it's not. It's not a sort of, um, it, it's not like a critique, a pure straight critique of modernism. He's just, he's kind of examining, listening on a more uh, phenomenological level and just the experiences and just putting it out there. And um, I, it's, I think it's, I think he's done really good work. I think it's great. Hmm. Yeah, it's really contemplative, isn't it? I, that's That's the thing that I really picked up on with it, is it doesn't sound frightened necessarily of the new exactly. era of listening but just it's inquisitive it's like what's going exactly. on here exactly yeah. yeah yeah i mean have you felt personally any changes or observed anything with your own relationship with listening as you know there's been a kind of general migration to i don't know different ways of thinking about listening and interacting with music uh, you know, I'm of two minds about it. Um, I mean, I listen to so much digital stuff and stream stuff, or if I want to hear a song immediately, I'm as guilty as everybody else of going to the usual sources. Um, for me, it's, it's actually because I move around so much, I've moved so much in my life. Um, I don't have a lot of my own music, even on mp3 or on my computer so sometimes if i'm going on tour and i think oh, what, how do i pl play that what is it 
what were the words of that song? I'll actually go onto YouTube and have to listen to it. Like, oh yeah, that's how I play that song. I forgot I had that lyric, you know? So it's actually been good for work for me. It reminds me, it's like uh, my own stuff's out there. I don't have to worry about anything. And also, I mean, honestly, I've been moving, I move so much. I'm not able to really I have my I have a record collection in two places on the East Coast and the West Coast and it's very frustrating so sometimes I know I have a record but it's on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast at the time and so you know I'll listen to something you know if I want to listen to it then I have to listen to it the way I want to listen to it so um, yeah I mean it's a pretty you know there's all sorts of ways to go with that topic I don't appreciate people telling me how I need to listen to music. Hmm. Um, so, you know, um, you need to listen to it this way to properly experience it. Um, you know, I think that there's, there can be pleasure found in all sorts of ways to listen to it. But the thing that sort of gets to me is when uh, music is marketed as a sort of a resource in order for you to sort of use it to do other things. Yes. So that, and that seems to be the major trend and you definitely see it with um, commercials with some of uh, some of the leading uh, tech people uh, might have a commercial to like, you know, subscribe to this because you can listen to this music while you do the dishes. Yes. And I definitely listen to music while doing the dishes, but that move pushes people to think of music not in terms of music itself, but merely in terms of, well, this is just a substance like gasoline in my car and I need this in order to do this. And in that way, I think that takes away a lot more uh, for the listener than even the ways that they're listening to it or streaming. There's definitely something to be said for like, you know, you spent your last dollar on a record and you think it's crap for the first year, but it's the only record you had to buy and now you love it. Yeah. There's an, there's an experience that goes with that. And a lot of people have talked about that. And I think, and I agree with that, but at the same time, I mean, I think somebody could still absolutely love a record just as much if they got it for free, but it's the whole moving music into the into the area where it's just um content and it's just a substance that's supposed to be used for something else i think that is much more detrimental um to music listening yeah it's very it's there's this in fact i spoke about this on another podcast i think we ended up at this place as well but it's like accessorizing of music isn't it it's that music well, yeah. to blank to i think you know as you said and it's just like um the the primary or the most useful if useful can even be applied to music in any meaningful way utility of it is um you know to support another activity and it, it should be a subordinate force in your life which is quite frightening i think as a trend in terms yeah. of engaging with this stuff i mean and that's i'm not even saying that you shouldn't listen to music while you do no, the dishes totally. i definitely have my own you know cleaning my house playlist uh, <laughs> but uh just when it's marketed that way and it's just pushed on people in terms of that i think that we're losing a lot i mean a lot of the most prominent experiences i have with music uh around experiences that i've had which are feel very are these like collisions of place and circumstance and environment which all chime together at one time which is is just like a, an event within the unfolding of my own life rather than oh these are the tracks that i'm going to listen to because i'm doing this it's like i was doing this then this track came on and all of those things produced like a particular sensation or experience um it's nice to right. have that autonomy of over or, or, or you know let the i don't know if it sounds cheesy but flow of life take you into those experiences rather than being guided right. there by what you should be listening to at right, that time. right right mm. right to segue somewhat awkwardly back into Hino, um, I saw actually an interview that you said something along the lines of that he was one of like two musicians that it scared you to be in their presence or something to that effect. <laughs> oh, really? You're letting all my secrets out now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um well, yeah, I mean, intimidated by, and I mean, but then again, I don't hang out with many musicians, so <laughs> that, that list would probably be much larger if I ever, you know, probably met more people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Heino and John Fahey were the most uh, intimidating people I've ever been in a room with, probably. So, um, yeah. Is that just because of the way that you relate with their music? Uh, maybe with Heino. I mean, 
I've been in a room with him a few times. We've played shows together and festivals and I don't know if he knows who I am, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, he, uh, you know, he's a very funny guy. He has an amazing sense of humor. Um, so he, it's not because he's, you know, Mr. Serious or something unlike, and with Faye, he was more cause he was just this, you know, colossal presence, um, that I uh, had to drive to the show and everything that we were playing together. So, um, wow. yeah. And with, with, with Fahey, it was probably sort of legend sort of thing, you know, and my relationship to it. You mentioned actually the, uh, the fact that Hino had been playing with O'Malley as well. Um, have you seen them play together? I guess that's with no. Nazar and I, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't seen them, but um, there's that documentary, a uh, little short documentary on them, and that's a perfect example of Hino's humor. I, he cracked me up in that. I thought it was hilarious. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that. It's so good, yeah. I mean, there's this one really quick clip where Hino has two capos on his guitar, and he's explaining what he's going to do with them, but there's no sound, but he's just <laughs> kind of explaining to somebody, and he kind of makes this motion like they'll both fly off at some point. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's a very funny guy. <laughs> Well, um, and there's also, you mentioned briefly, a challenge to fate there as well. Is that a record that stuck with you as well? That's the Hino solo record. Yeah, I think so. I think that because that came out at the same time as A Caution Appears and the those vocal pieces on there, the three vocal pieces, the first blackness and second blackness and such um, those mixed with it's that that's just really a great varied uh record in terms of his vocal work his softer sounds and these then a few of the more harsher sounds on it um yeah that's a fantastic record yeah i listened to a couple and there was almost one that had you taken his vocal off could have been almost like a solo shoegaze song or something it was really pretty yeah um, yeah, yeah but then it was quite spooky with his you know his vocal contribution of the top completely took it in a different direction to that Right. Yeah, it's a it's a great varied record. It's wonderful. Let's talk about your third record, Ben, if you'd like to tell me the, the name of it and um, yeah, why, why you picked it as well. Well, I was going to mention uh, Morton Feldman's Triadic Memories. Uh, yeah, there's probably just a few things to say about it in relationship to the system. One is that you know, Feldman wasn't actually very big on systems at all. So in, you know, it's not supposed to... Um, I didn't bring it up because the system was related to Feldman in that way. Hmm. But, uh, but I, but I kind of wanted to pick that one because the, the pre origins of the system started when actually Damon um, and Naomi, uh, they have the exact change. Uh, they run exact change um, publishing and they put out the uh, it's a collection of Morton Feldman's writings. Give my regards to eighth street. And, um, in that, I was reading that book when I started to think about the system in general, even though, like I said, he's not very big in the systems. But I had two dreams. I don't remember. I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but I had two dreams in two consecutive nights about composing with cards when I was falling asleep reading that book. Um, so I don't know. Something about you know his writings kind of poked my brain a little bit like that. That's awesome. I mean, it's the kind of thing that when I hear about, I'm like, oh, that must be amazing to have a dream that instigates something that then becomes so real. Is that something that happens often for you? No, I wish it. I mean, I think sometimes I think about trying to incubate dreams a little more in order for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I actually just started writing down my dreams because I thought maybe they could be of use for that same sort of reason. Um it doesn't happen a lot. I I just remembered um, recently that the Ascent record that I did um, was actually kicked off from a dream as well because um, 
that record is a bit um, sort of a, deals with sort of a space Gnosticism and you know do ghosts exist in space things like that um, and uh, there's sort of an abstract storyline that I think only I know in my mind how those songs <laughs> connect but uh, I, I just the other day I, I, I remembered that the whole record came about because I had this dream that I was in space and I can't tell if I was actually in space or if I was just viewing something in space and I was right next to Jupiter and then um, there was a spaceship being built in Jupiter's orbit um, and I was watching the spaceship be built in orbit but the spaceship was the shape of a giant lobster Whoa. it was this and it was being half it was like halfway built and there were these little ships coming up to it and putting it and I don't know where I what I was supposed to be doing in the dream I was just witnessing the ship being built and when I woke up it was um, it was just so vivid and I told my friend about it and I said I th- you know I think I'm gonna write a a short story or a novel about it and then he reminded me that i don't know anything at all about writing (laughs) literature whatsoever and it's actually a very hard thing to do and then i thought okay well maybe i'll just write a record about it (laughs) i love that record that's thank you such a record it it, was it instantly apparent that it was going to be like because there's it's a like a rock record i guess in terms of the spread of material that i've heard from you did, was it, did the sound kind of come out from that inevitably as well? It, I, I kind of just fused the two together. I knew I wanted to write about this sort of space Gnosticism story, and mm. uh, I knew the next record was going to be with the Comets guys. So, yeah, just put them, just put them together. Yeah, oh, that's great. So, yeah, you had the, uh, a dream that kind of birthed the hexatic system that while you were reading this Feldman book. Yeah, and I to tell you the truth, when I was when I do a lot of my um, when I when I draw the cards for the system, um, and I'm kind of um, writing down the precompositions on paper and filling out stuff that has nothing to do with any need. It, I don't have to interpret anything. I'm just writing down raw data. Um, in, in the early stages, I was listening to a lot of Morton Feldman, and actually, there's a chapter in the Hexatic book called uh, Triadic Movements. Yes, and that was my little tip of the hat to the uh, triadic memories because um, the triadic movements is a is a game for two guitar players where you have triads that move note by note um, across the fretboard randomly with um, choosing cards and you can you can make it um, harmonic by you can choose cards that deal with notes within a certain um, key if you want or you can you can tweak it as much as you want. You can have it be as chromatic as you want. Um, but it was a game, so that was a little tip of the hat to um, to Morton Feldman as well. Mm. Am I right in saying did Phil Lagarde do? He like looked like he transposed that into like left hand and right hand on the piano as well, or on a he, keyboard. He, he's done a few things. One of the things he did was he took that game and then he used the actual game to. Uh, compose music with Hmm. and so he did music with that and then uh, and then separately i think he has also shown how um to use the hexatic system with the piano he's sort of done some um transferring of notes like what octaves equal what octaves and how you would do that um again expanding the system farther than i thought was possible um so yeah he's he's my main guy he's he's amazing (laughs) With, with the um, Feldman record, it's interesting when I first saw you mention it, because uh, I think, in fact, we touched briefly on the fact you're reading his book when I spoke with you last. Uh, but I hadn't recalled that at the time. And I thought that maybe it was the like sonic quality of the record, which caused its link to the system because of the uh, the otherly sense to the way that Feldman does his stuff and um, just the strangeness of his tonality as well. But it's, yeah, it's interesting that actually the link is, you know, is is more of a an anecdotal nature, I guess, rather than sonically. But um, I mean, what, what's the record like as a listening experience for you, this Tridic Memories? Oh, well, you know, that record, I don't know. I mean, it just... I, it sounds like it can go on forever and yeah. you would want it to, you know? I mean, yeah. a lot of his work is like that, I feel. And you just, and I'm, I guess that's why he did do like four hour pieces. Um, and, and, um, that's just so beautiful. I mean, there's a reason why he's one of the most popular 
uh, composers of the 20th century, really. I mean, he's just, it's just, it's just so gorgeous. And I love, I mean, it's just beautiful. Um, and I also kind of wanted to bring up that record because, you know, just to clarify as well, like the system is in no way trying to, uh, attack the walls of, uh, you know, new composition or, uh, you know, any sort of <laughs> classical composition or academia or anything like that. It's, it's purely a barbarian system, barbarian system for guitar players, um, <laughs> just to dissolve all ideas and kind of like start anew, you know, but, um, sort of borrowing inspiration from all sorts of people, you mm. know? Yeah, I just like to, you know, it's not, it's not in no way am I trying to, um, you know, get into that world. <laughs> hey, that's, that's fair enough. Um, Unless they'll have me. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Actually, you mentioned there about the the whole durational aspect as well, which is something that's like always excited me so much. Is when you get pieces that stretch to those like hour and a half, or you know, above, and to the point where you're halfway through them, and then you're like, oh gosh, this this could go on forever. I'm kind of stranded here with this, you know, this this music playing, and like there's no end in sight. For me, that's you know become a really exciting experience to have those kind of listening experiences um yeah yeah and um with feldman's buddy cage um talking about time being the 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 most uh, primal aspect of music hmm. um so you know in those ways uh the way that that influenced the hexatic system is there is a time aspect of it that um you can use and some of the people did use it um on uh on the record you know like um steven and tim and mark you know their piece definitely is working with time mm -hmm. um and so it's richard young's he's working with uh you can hear the time aspect um i mean that stuff did inspire some of the aspects of it yeah speaking of actually you brought up that richard young's piece that solo on that track is insane yeah it's so good oh my gosh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad he did that. <laughs> he, um, I, I, I mean, I, I love hearing him talk about music as well. He came on this podcast, in fact, um, a few oh, months good. back. But yeah, he just has a, an, an immediacy with what he's doing, where I feel like he's just lets it out, <laughs> and it and and it just happens. Um, yeah, I, I love that about his music. I don't have a whole lot of heroes. Um, in terms of music or anything, but he's definitely a hero of mine. Um, mm. Just so, I mean, yeah, just, I just, I just, yeah, he's, he's a hero. Like, um, I'm happy to know him. He actually came when I was on tour last summer. Um, he came down to a show and, um, and after I, after I finished the show, his first comment was, he said, you've been practicing. <laughs> and, and to this day, I can't tell if that was like what percentage of that was a was being like, compliment or you know or there's a slight bit of like you've been practicing as I don't know it's still hard to hard to explain but I'm still questioning that comment to yeah. this day yeah there's there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> yeah exactly um, do you have a like do you have a favorite record of his I mean I know there's so many and it's probably oh, a task to yeah. whittle them down oh you know i don't know i mean they're just all they're just all so different no i don't think i have a favorite and like you know fuchsia sushi i'm like yeah this is the first one i heard i mean because his work with simon wickham smith was the first stuff that i ever heard and mm. and um i didn't even know richard would you know could do pretty music you know i mean it, well actually that's very pretty in its own way but uh, also um pretty intense um so yeah no i don't think i do have a favorite record um and i can't even say i've heard them all i mean i can't you know i have quite a few 
Yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, that's what I love about him. He's just always, his mind is just, he's always doing something new. He's always, and every record is like, this record has to exist for this reason because I had this idea and now here it is. And I just think that's something that, that's something I'd strive for, you know, and, and he's a big inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he seems to, I think at the time he was um, talking about his Pebrock record that came out last year where he hmm. you know took a bunch of musicians and collaborated with them that all had an element of like pebrock bagpipe music in their work but i haven't even heard that yeah i heard a couple of bits of it and it sounds amazing um yeah he just has he just i, I mean i get these flash in the pan ideas where i'm like it'd be great to make a disco record or you know or, or oh, wouldn't it be awesome to do like a techno track or something like that and then it dissipates as quickly as it comes but it seems that he captures that and yeah. instantly does it and it sounds wonderful when he does like it's full of conviction as well well i have um you know i interviewed him a couple of years ago uh for bomb magazine and you know he does have that thing where you know perhaps one record is his country record and you know his records on bada bing sometimes <laughs> ben ben who does bada bing will i guess sometimes suggest records and I told him that a, a friend of um, mine who also knows Ben at Bada Bing, this guy Utrio, who he's the drummer for Comments on Fire, his suggestion was um, that he should make a rap record. And this was the one record that I think Richard said, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we... <laughs> he found so his I boundary. I don't know. Who knows? I think, yeah, I think we found his limit. <laughs> uh, he did... Um... There's one that I really like. I think it's called Amaranthine. Amaranthine. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you know that one, but it's like yeah, it's yeah, it's gorgeous. It's like all yeah. percussion and then just one or two elements and voice. Yeah, um, it's yeah, beautiful, really inspiring. Yeah. Well, then this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me both about the system and about these records. It's been wicked to have you on again. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. If people want to keep up with what you're doing online is there a best place for them to to go i guess i have a website that i update twice a year maybe <laughs> uh, but that's about when i'm doing something new you know so um that's about it great <laughs> i've got a i've got a twitter account that i kind of drunkenly rant about how good some record is at three in the morning and then erase it as soon as i wake up so <laughs> that also great. has some touring information and things like that nice and that's at six organs isn't it yeah, just with six with a numeral six. Ah, yes, great. Excellent. Well, thanks once again, and to everyone listening, I will see you next time. <laughs>